Welcome to episode four of Can't Read, Can't Write, your Michigan State sports podcast covering all things Michigan State sports and a little bit of uh, national college sports as well. I'm Mike Jones. I'm joined here with uh, Kevin Greck. Greck, how you doing, man? Not bad, Jonesy. Uh, just enjoying my Ohio State week and my Ohio State fallout. It's been uh, a real pleasure. <laughs> uh, I can only assume that our listenership is going to continue to grow exponentially Yeah. Uh, in light of what I think people are collectively calling a disaster. Uh, I, I think we actually have an audio clip of MSU Twitter's response to the game. Let's oh, hear yeah. it now. Yeah, let's roll that tape. Why? 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 <laughs> Greg, uh, we both had a chance to watch the game. Uh, look, I, I have some thoughts. I, I have a lot of thoughts, but yeah. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go first. You want game. me to start it off? Um, yeah, I'm a little too hot right now. Yeah, yeah, you're fuming over there. Uh, and, and not for the reasons that people think. Okay, well, I, I think having just you know done my homework because we're a professional outfit over here at Can't Read Can't Write. Uh, I just watched through the tight cut of the game and it kind of reemphasized my priors, to be honest with you, that it was a story of, you know, three quarters and one quarter. Three quarters where MSU and Ohio State played pretty tight football, where Ohio State was clearly the better team throughout, but it wasn't, you know, a, you know, a breakaway win from Ohio State. And then one remaining quarter, the second quarter, as it turns out, where they really, they had some big yardage plays, they had some... They had several touchdowns, two touchdowns, I think, and maybe a field goal in that time um, and really blew the game open. And it almost wasn't worth watching in the second half. It was a something fairly close to a stalemate in the second half. Um, so overall, I think kind of what we expected, uh, the line, I think, in Vegas was 20 points, Ohio State by 20. It ended up being, you know, Ohio State by 24 uh, marginally different, but, um, overall, I think not a, not a huge surprise. Uh, MSU made costly mistakes that it really needed to capitalize to, to pull off a game like this. You, you can't turn over the ball on your first two possessions. Uh, even if your defense holds them to three points and hope to escape with a win out of Columbus against a team like this. It's just all the right things had to happen. There were drops, there were missed throws, there were missed field goals, which we'll get into. Maddie, Maddie C. Uh, I'm a big fan of your dad airlines, but uh, fella, uh, we're going to need to see a little bit more consistency out of you uh, from our returning all conference kicker. But uh, Jonesy, what did you think? Yeah, so let me start here. You brought up the spread. Um, I I did a collection of uh, where columnists and beat writers uh, picked this game to be. So mm -hmm. 20 point spread from Vegas, mm -hmm. uh, plus 20 for MSU. Uh, Charbonneau had it at 34-17. Neo had it at 41-17. Wojo at 38-13. Uh, Sabin, 35-14. Couch, 31-10. 
Solari, 2413. Wenzel, 3117. Seidel, 2717. Windsor, 3116. All pretty much right where it ended up. Yeah, we're talking like plus or minus four or five points, maybe up yeah. to seven Ohio State yeah. wins across all of those calls. I mean, Solari was the most generous for MSU and still not really that off base. And here's the thing. I am angry. I'm not angry at MSU in the way that I am angry at the collective fan base right now and the way that people are jumping on Lewerke, the way they are jumping on Salem, and the way that they are jumping on D'Antonio. Yeah. Look, we... There is a clear talent gap between these two teams. We have not seen an Ohio State team this talented ever. And sure, the game was plenty frustrating. We'll talk about that wildcat in a second. But the fact of the matter is that we were a few errors away from a very competitive game. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Maybe this team is just a few errors kind of a team. Mm-hmm. And I get it. Drop passes are annoying, and they seem to be a little more systemic. The penalties seem to be a bit systemic. I I can appreciate being frustrated with it because some of that seems coaching-related. But to make this large indictment that the game is past Antonio by, that we we somehow are at such a disadvantage on a coaching level Mm -hmm. and a player level has me pulling my hair out. This, I mean, (laughs) this Ohio State team will compete against Clemson and Alabama. They're that good. And and if you didn't think they were that good, look at the, the Vegas spread and all the goddamn predictions. They said from the get-go that this was gonna happen. And the only reason we're upset is because the way it happened was not just a complete thorough beating, but instead that we were competitive in weird ways and then made some miscues? Like, that blows my mind. And for everyone who's jumping on D'Antonio, I just, I dare you to be so confident that whatever happens next, whoever we get next, is A, gonna be better, and B is going to view MSU as a destination in the same way that D'Antonio did. Mm-hmm. I'm, I don't mean to be an apologist or a sycophant for D'Antonio, but we have it pretty good. Mm-hmm. We, we were competitive in three quarters of this game, and but for Bocce making a mistake that he never makes. Yeah. I think it, he said that in the postgame or to a media member that he called that out. Uh, that he missed a tackle, he missed an assignment on a run, on a uh, on a run coverage, and they took it to the house on him. Look, I, I mean, the 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 talent gap is real, and I can appreciate that there's frustration that we should be trying to recruit at a higher level. Mm-hmm. I I think we are a bit of a unique disadvantage. I want to chat a little bit later about divisional alignment, but you know. The the number of star differential between this Michigan State team and this Ohio State team um, is massive. Back in 2015, when we beat Columbus... Uh, when we beat at, Columbus? Or I'm sorry, beat Ohio State in Columbus. 
Uh, All of Columbus got beat that day. (laughs) Well, sometimes it feels like that. I bet it did feel like it there that day. But they had four five-star players on their roster compared to R1. This year, Ohio State had 13, and we had none. Like... And when it came to four stars, it was 47 to 13. I, I mean, look, I don't know what the, I don't know enough about recruiting. And I, I frankly have a hard time getting invested so deeply in the lives of people who cannot vote yet. What? Um, uh, what about, what, like, isn't it important to you if 16 year old boys want to go to the school that you went to? Isn't that a top priority of yours? I would what? like them to want to come to my school. I'm just saying I'm not going to invest my... What are you doing with your time if not following the <laughs> the wiles the t- of... The Twitter accounts yes. of 16-year-old boys? Yeah, Tweeting like a at 17-year-olds while they're on their official visits being like, Go green! Go oh, blue! Tweeting the, the way, same gifts at every one of them. I want to oh, talk about God. that for a second. Tweeting at people. Yeah. Because... Ryan Lewerke, after the game, uh, tweeted something relatively positive about moving forward. And some... If I may, if I, if I may just interject here. I didn't mention this in my uh, recap of the game. Ryan Lewerke, I thought, played fine. Fine to yeah. good. Made, he, he played well enough for us to win. Yeah. I don't think he cost MSU that game. Uh, there were a couple missed throws, but there were also a couple really... <laughs> tight windows that he put the ball into uh throws that we haven't seen for a while um i mean we saw counter cook hit some of those like over the shoulder fades that was kind of like his go-to um but brian lewerke hit some tight windows coming over the middle in particular uh that i thought were pretty impressive at times but anyway uh, i'm sorry for for slowing your roll roll on no it's fine look there was a tweet at Lewerke and a tweet at Coughlin from fans talking trash about him. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for the listeners that I have a cough. Got some allergies. Have a sick Don't apologize. Kid. Don't apologize to those people. You keep, you keep going. They'll forgive you. Your tweets are too good. And in light of the letter that was sent to the PSU student... I just want to say... Bad luck. Not a good luck. That dumping on student-athletes who have more ability and athletic ability demonstrated in a quarter of a game than you likely do in your lifetime... Mm-hmm. Shut up. <laughs> Brian Lewerke did play well. Brian Lewerke played well enough for us to bring it to the fourth quarter, at least. Yeah. You know, um, Elijah Collins fumbling that ball... You're going to have that with a freshman running back. You know, that happens. Yeah. Stuff happens. It's, look, I get very emotionally invested in the games. I'm very upset when we lose, but it is a game that we take a lot of pride and entertainment out of because of kids doing it for our benefit and their own, but also for our benefit. Right. So people dumping on kids, there is a special place in hell for you. Yeah, that's now, all I want to say about. That. I will point out, uh, devoted listeners will recall that last week there was a a comedy bit uh, involving um, uh, our our kicker Matt Coughlin, uh, where uh, he was impersonated 
and uh, as a small child, we discuss his father uh, as a pilot. I will point out that that was done with love and it was done in jest. And I I think it might not have been clear, but I, I will clarify this now. The childhood aspect of that is him relative to those other very, uh, very strong players uh, on the sideline um, who are all 6'5", you know, offensive linemen or 400 pounds or whatever, um, where he, he looks... Um, comically small next to them uh but it was done with deep admiration of matt Coughlin, even after he missed another uh field goal this week but uh so we're, we're going to talk about matt Coughlin in just yeah. a second but before we do because i know that poli- people collectively lost their minds about this and i will say i lost my mind when it happened the wildcat look <laughs> it was one one terrible call from salem one you 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 are jumping up and down on a man for one terrible call and you know what it was awful you know who the wildcat is brian lewerke is the wildcat he can run you don't need to run a wildcat when you have brian lewerke as your quarterback and if you are going to run a wildcat you run it with ladarius jefferson who at least played quarterback but you know what if i'm ladarius jefferson and you run a wildcat and i'm not the person getting the ball i'm going to transfer LOL, LOL, LOL. Yeah, speaking of losing your mind, I think we might disagree on this. I don't understand the transferring after you've already burned your redshirt. He's played five games now. So the man can't take a redshirt this season. I I guess you can transfer to a new program and you can get embedded sooner rather than later. Uh, But you're still going to have to take a redshirt here, (laughs) presumably, unless he's going to get a hardship waiver, which would be difficult right well well, so maybe um there are some places he could land that he could make an argument for a hardship waiver um i believe he has uh family that it it may be worth being closer to so if he ended up somewhere like western Mm -hmm. uh you know maybe he could he could make a, a hardship waiver um but the other thing is that that i hadn't thought about before is that there is actually a cap on the number of years that you can play um, you get five years of eligibility. Mm-hmm. So he's going to have to sit out next year anyway. Like, he would have had to sit out a year, period. So this, the th- and we, we talked about it with some sort of, like, questioning of the logistics on <coughs> when someone can transfer. Mm-hmm. I actually don't know that it really matters. Um, because even if you got to preserve your, your red shirt, you're still sitting out next year for the transfer. So you're, you're using a year anyway. Sure. <laughs> so the only, the only exception would be is if he got a, um, a medical waiver. But I think, it, isn't it the rule that you can transfer and this is still your year? So he could play immediately next year if he had only played four games and then entered the portal? No, you, you still have to sit out the year is okay. my understanding. Um, because right. of the transfer. <coughs> Sorry, listeners, again. But anyway. All right. Fair um, enough. Matty C. Yeah. His dead airlines. 
His dad airlines. His I, dad airlines. <clears throat> getting you to your destination four out of ten times. Yeah. What are we up to right now? What's the percentage here? He's batting around five hundred right now. I mean, it's it's been. I think it's four of ten over his last ten attempts. Um, I I mean, in fairness, some of them have been close misses. It, mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't seem like he has the yips. Um, and you know, you look at misses that have happened when he kicked a good field goal and then it got pushed back because of a penalty. Uh, you miss a field goal when someone should have been called for leaping. Mm-hmm. Um, you uh, miss a field goal when Chase Young is just not blocked um, on on, a, on an attempt. Um, and to D'Antonio's point, you might uh, have a little bit of concern if you had Chase Young barreling at you barreling unblocked. Barreling at you. <clears throat> I, yeah. I mean... Skynet it, is on his way. It's it, it's simultaneously a concern, uh, but there are some things to point to. There are reasons that he could be missing, but at the same time, it's it's not looking good. And mm-hmm. uh, we don't really have any other choices. Well, there is. Uh, it looks like there's a Tyler Hunt on the team of of Goebbels, Michigan. Gobbles. Go. G O B L E S. It's uh, it's sort of down by the Indiana border. Uh, so there, there's good old Tyler Hunt looking good here on the uh, uh, on the roster. Uh, but no, there's only one, there's only one scholarship kicker. D'Antonio said that this week in his uh, in his press conference. He said as much. You know, the the program has basically made a commitment to Matt Coglin, and he's shown the ability to hit. These types of kicks with regularity in the past, uh, and you have to assume that he'll continue to make them in the future. And so, if you had a Matt Coughlin on your team, you wouldn't have another kicker. You'd right. be doing exactly what we're doing, which is bringing in a stud of a kicker next year. Yeah. And it's not uncommon for good teams to have kicking issues. Uh, look at Nick Saban. Famously, people have pointed at his de-emphasizing of the kicking game and special teams uh, in the past that has cost him high uh, visibility uh, games. Uh, I don't believe he puts his kickers on scholarship. I could be mistaken about that. Maybe that's changed, but... um, Wow. There are big-time programs that think you don't put these types of specialists on scholarship. You're better off using those places for, you know, developing a defensive or offensive lineman or a linebacker or something like that. So, um, as I said, Coughlin's kind of the guy and, uh, we're going to ride and die bad boy style with Maddie. C. the only, the only other special teams thing of note is that Brandon Sowards, uh, is now returning punts. It seems like, um, mm-hmm. I don't know that he attempted to return a punt, I well, as I said, just did my homework. Uh, I think uh, Sowards fair caught every single one of the punts uh, for two reasons. One, he was backpedaling on every single one of them. It's like they forgot how how much punting Ohio State can do. Uh, and two, he was getting barreled down upon by Ohio State special teams players in each one of those cases. So the D'Antonio takes the sure thing 
on yeah. the punt and kick return. Uh, I think I think we all have had some frustrations with the abilities of the kick and punt returners over the past several years, really, since my friend Keyshawn Martin was out there. Uh, oh, your good I'll friend Keyshawn Martin? Yep. Keyshawn and I go way back. Uh, since number 82, I believe. I'm putting myself on the spot on that one. Was Didn't need there. to. What's that? Didn't need to put yourself on the spot. Mm-mm. I'm calling the shot. You can call me the babe, man. <laughs> uh, wait, let's, let's look this up. It's not necessary. We're going to roll with it. Nope. Uh, you can uh, tweet at Kevin Grek at Spartan underscore pod. Keyshawn Martin was born in 1990, and his number was 82. Yeah, I'm the all-time finest podcaster that this world is. Glad we took people's uh, time for that. Um, they loved so, it. Kevin, uh, how are we feeling about the season now? Is this, I mean, are we worried that this is turning back into same old Spartans? Wh- well, what, where are you at? Here's what I'll say. <clears throat> the upward bound expectations for the team this year was Big Ten championship game slash college football playoff, right? And the justification for that was the defense. Now, it's not that the defense just got gashed, but Ohio State did just score 34 points on them. So while this is a very good defense, a very, very good defense, a defense that any team would be happy to have and will come will be one of D'Antonio's finest. I I'm not sure that this is as disruptive a defense as you would need to carry you all the way to a Big Ten championship game or a college football playoff berth. Um they got gashed on a couple plays. Uh really this game came down to maybe 10 plays in total on one side or the other. And uh, several of those were at the expense of the, really the MSU run blocking or not run blocking, but, but run stopping rush, rush protection. Which Uh, you would never anticipate. Dobbins had, uh, again, I think he averaged, I don't know what it was like seven yards per carry or something like that. But one of those was a 70-yard break for a touchdown. Uh, there were a couple other big breaks. So uh, fields really, cre- you know, keeping plays alive when things had broke down and Dobbins breaking them off on, on big rushing plays. Uh, that's really what won the game for Ohio State. So if we adjust down the expectations for MSU's defense, and I think... This has not been popular, particularly with the uh, fan base, as we established when we discussed the Twitter thing. Uh, the offense, in spite of only scoring 10 points, moved the ball at will at times, uh, had some miscues, certainly. But I mean, how many total out, how many total yards of offense did the team put up? Um, it wasn't as good as you would like, though. Oh. Some of that has to do with uh college football counting sacks as lost yardage okay so we're at 218 uh yards passing and 67 yards rushing uh whereas ohio state had 323 yards rushing uh so i i think what this game 
does is it, and maybe this is part of the consternation of the fan base, is it demonstrates that this is not a Big Ten championship caliber team in spite of what everyone was hoping at the beginning of the year, that if the offense could just put it together a little bit, the defense would hold all of these teams to 20 or fewer points and you could win games just by virtue of holding opposing teams to not score. And And I think this Ohio State team is better than people thought they were going to be. I think that's fair, certainly. Justin Fields, like, that guy really opened things up for them. And being a first-year transfer, you can't evaluate something like that. Uh, You would expect a guy that lost the job at uh, Georgia wouldn't just fit directly into a system like this and operate so cleanly. But that was the case on Saturday night. So one of the things that that people have been bringing up, um, and maybe this is this is less to do with this season, and, and I, I would say there's still plenty to play for for this season. I mean, if MSU is capable of winning out, which I think they might be able to, um, you know, we'll see how they respond this week. This week to me is a much more emotionally important game than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they are able to win out for some reason, you have a theoretical argument for going to the Rose Bowl. Like, you know, one of the tough things about the playoff system is that going to the Rose Bowl used to be good enough. Yeah, it devalues all of those other bowl games. And and even if, you know, even if it's not the Rose Bowl, if they were to win out, they're going to a New York Six Bowl. You know, uh, that that includes uh, wins uh, against top 10 Wisconsin, uh, top 10 Penn State, and likely, for some reason, a ranked Michigan. Um, so, you know, that's plenty to be happy about. One of the things, though, that's being floated is, you know, and I don't know if this is a cop-out, but the idea that maybe we need some division realignment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people are talking about swapping MSU and Purdue. We move over to the West. They move over to the East. Um, it certainly puts more parity between the two divisions. Mm-hmm. Um, if that were to happen, uh, I think MSU starts seeing, frankly, some of the, the recruiting benefits of, of being a you would think in an annual contender right for a big 10 championship mm-hmm. um and uh it gives wisconsin and iowa a little more something to brag about um and if you rolled your eyes at uh at hearing this you know the whining about the conference realignment look no further than the minnesota golden gophers five yeah. and oh going to play basically no one nobody wisconsin so yeah. i don't know minnesota is what minnesota is an upset away mm-hmm. from from being in a playoff conversation mm-hmm. i mean and uh i got bad news for all you rolling rowing the boat out there that team is not that good that team yeah. is five and zero oh as a function of its competition that it has played which it has not thoroughly beaten by the way they barely beat you know south dakota state or whomever first game of the season so uh, it's just like 
that's all you need. Nebraska has not held up their end of the bargain in all of this. No, and so it, it, I mean, you swap you swap Purdue over, and it mm-hmm. makes the the West seem better. Um, it's it, I think as an MSU fan, all I would say is if you can give me a guaranteed rivalry game against Michigan every year, mm-hmm. I'm good. I'm good. Um, because uh, you know. It's not like Iowa and Wisconsin are ever walkover games, and maybe one day Nebraska decides it wants to be good again. Yeah. Um. And and we'll have a competition there, but you know, I'd be for it. And frankly, at some point in time, I think the Big Ten needs to look at itself honestly in the mirror and say, does it make sense to have Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, and Penn State all in one conference division? Is that really good for us? I would point out though, Jonesy, I'd prefer two, uh, protected rivalry games. There's the one that everyone looks at and you point at in the media and you get excited about with Michigan. And then there's the real, the real rivalry game, the old brass platoon game, MSU, Indiana, hit the little gold pot, the little gold pot game. That's the one I look forward to every year. Okay. And I think that's what the real fans want to see. So if we, I mean, I would miss the land games. I don't care about the land grant. I actually maintain that the land grant trophy should be the one trophy that the loser has to keep every year. (laughs) It is a terrible trophy. (laughs) That should be the wrinkle of the land grant trophy, especially now that the reanimated corpse of George Perlis is out of the board. We can, uh, we can finally have a little bit of fun with that rivalry. All right. Well, look, I I think we're ready to put this game behind us. And I I think uh, I I, I hope I hope that after this week, if we're able to get a win, that people will just calm down and have some perspective about this game. Sure. Because it. There's there's plenty to be upset about, but there's plenty to say, all right. This season's not over. Yeah, there's plenty to play for. People are idiots. Losing to Ohio State is not the end of the world, and there's still opportunities to have a great season. This team, what do you think about this? I'm going to thought experiment you for a second. Let's say this team drops Wisconsin and Penn State at home, but goes on the road and beats Michigan, and then wins the games that it's supposed to. That would put the team at eight and four, right? Yeah. So... Eight and four to end the year, win against Michigan on the road. What, what does the fan base take away from that? All I can say is how I would feel. Yeah. And I think we get in a dicey position, and, and what I think annoys me, makes me so angry about the collective reaction, is that it seems like we are becoming the thing that we hated so much, which is U of M fans, mm. where we think we are entitled to something. Mm. And that we are not able to be happy in the success that we have and recognize that sometimes things don't go your way. Sometimes another team just plays better than you. Dude, have you and been sitting on that the whole time? <laughs> Dude. I but I will say That's this. gold podcasting. We need to move that up to the front. Yeah, oh. You got you to gotta stay in the episode. Oh, what a take. Oh, I, I, continue. I'm sorry. The, I stopped you. You were rolling. Go. So, yeah. So, A, all of you people reacting this way, you are becoming the thing you hate. 
So why don't you look yourself in the mirror, <laughs> a la the recommendation from that asshole and Penn State fan. Um, but I will say that if it was an eight and four year uh, with a win against Michigan, I would look at this year as an underachieving year. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it, and that's what it would be is an underachieving year. Was Is it a year that we can say we had some good memories about? Yes. But it would be disappointing. And, and, I, and I do think it stings a little bit more because of that ASU loss. Um, sure. But, you know, if you, if you said we were 9-3 and three and that ASU game doesn't happen, uh, then, you know, okay. All right. A little disappointing, but not like a, an underperforming year, just a little disappointing. Um, it's as if the comedy of errors that is the ASU game has left a bad taste in the mouth of the entire season. The fan base did not put that loss behind them in the way that we had. Uh, we being more sophisticated. Uh, the most sophisticated. Year. Yeah. Uh, just just more, uh, just better fans, really. Um, we chalked that game up. Uh, devoted fans will recall from uh, our episode going back to episode one. Uh, we chalked that game up as an outlier, essentially, and uh, that the tape should be burned but i get the impression that the fan base has really not put that game behind them the question is will a big win kind of cleanse that palette i think it does i i I think a big win at wisconsin i think it puts us on the right track um emotionally and mentally going forward okay um so uh, before we head off Grand River, uh, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Rick Patino Event Planners. Do you need to plan and execute a large-scale event? Do you need to really bring a sense of class and dignity through song and acrobatic dance? Do you want a high-budget feeling that is completely unaware of the moment you're in? Well, the Rick Patino Event Planners can do just that, capable of creating a special moment just about anywhere, even Lawrence, Kansas. Greg... What can you tell us about uh, sorry, Rick Pitino event planners? I, I would say the one thing that you need to know about Rick Pitino and the events that he plans is that they're only ever brief. Uh, Greg, I, I can say I've seen, I've seen footage of his work. Uh, recently planned an amazing event in Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, you know, just... So, Are we going to talk about this? Are we going to talk about Kansas and what they did? Greg, we're in the middle of an ad copy. No! We digress from the ad copy, and we talk about what happened at Kansas this week. Anyway, Rick Patino event planners. Uh, yeah, let's talk about Kansas. Okay. Fine. So, <laughs> we were planning on this, but let's talk about Kansas. Uh, in case... Just as background, uh, in case you haven't been paying attention to college uh, basketball... The NCAA has served uh, the University of Kansas with some pretty major compliance um, accusations. Uh, I think there are like four or five major violations, and then there are other minor violations uh, related to the football team that are irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Um, So the University of Kansas and its infinite glory, uh, uh, infinite wisdom, decided to invite this week. Uh, Snoop Dogg to play what is essentially it's midnight madness. And in the announcement for this, 
Bill Self posted to Instagram a video of himself in a record store wearing a big Adidas basketball t-shirt and a dollar sign gold chain swinging from his neck, walking up to the Snoop section, pulling a CD out. Yes, it's online. It's available. I did did not know that. Men are in prison right now related to the Adidas paying players hoop scandal. Dollar bill self out there playing it up, playing the villain. Uh, So the... Basically, Snoop comes out with a uh, with quite the show. He's got profanity. He's got <laughs> young ladies on stripper poles uh, on the court. He goes over to the Kansas sideline and shoots uh, a dollar gun uh, in their general direction. With and the- to be clear, for people who don't know, that's not a gun you buy at the dollar store. Right. Uh, which you might believe you were able to do in Kansas, but as a, uh, mm. a, a fake gun that distributes dollar bills mm. amongst the crowd. The dollar bills featured Snoop's face and marijuana leaves. So again, we are not prudes in all of this. In fact, if I were there at uh, at the field house that night, I would probably have delighted in that spectacle and thought that it was hilarious. But at the same time... I, I I love the Kansas 80s response to this. The instant was, apology. Sorry if you were offended. <laughs> Dude, I'm not offended by Snoop Dogg doing anything. It's Snoop no. Dogg. I feel like you know what you're getting. That's fine. But, but the polls should have been a no from the yeah. get-go. No, there was and, no way of knowing. As the roadie crew walked from the truck through the bowels of the field house and out onto the court. There was no way of knowing what they were going to do with those poles. No, and and no, there was no way. And it's, you know, it's just any other college really probably not that big of a deal. That's it's not that anyone was offended. It was the lack of self-awareness about the moment you're in. That's what the problem was. If they had done this at MSU, maybe you'd hear some things, but oh, not like would. this. Oh, but not like this. I think you would hear some things. Um, I, I, it would have been about the tastefulness, maybe, but yeah. it wouldn't have been in the context of I, you're I under major NCAA investigation for paying players. I think it would have been worse at MSU, honestly. If well, well that's just Tom, not our look. Either. The perception would have been. A Tom Izzo event features women oh, f- all right. in these all right. situations. All right. Fair I point. Think fair point. Fair point. I think the perception would have been far worse Fine. at MSU. Cal. Yeah. Washington. I don't know. Name another program. Duke. Kentucky. Yeah. <laughs> Kentucky. Great. Anyway. Yeah. Kentucky people would have loved it. They would have been like, oh my God, now everyone needs strippers every year to get those five stars. So, <laughs> the only place worse it would have been is at Louisville. That's the mm-hmm. only place it would have gone over worse. And that's why Rick Pitino put that event on, going all the way back <laughs> to the ad copy. There's one more thing on this that I want to talk about before we move on to the rest of Off Grand River. I was struck by the fan response, the greater college basketball fan response. 
who kind of delight in this perception that Kansas is playing the villain and just fighting the NCAA. And why that's interesting to me is before the sanction, well, we don't have sanctions yet, before the allegations were dropped against Kansas, it was pretty well known or assumed, widely assumed that Kansas was not on the up and up in terms of their recruiting. And most other college fan bases, including our own, having uh, recruited many players out of the Chicago area that ended up going to Kansas, did not much appreciate uh, what Bill Self was doing down there and would have preferred that the NCAA were to do something about it. Now that the NCAA is doing something about it, my perception of what the general college basketball fan response is, is that they think it's hilarious and that Kansas should fight everything tooth and nail and not give an inch the way that North Carolina did. These seem like incompatible views to me, but I think it plays into this whole NCAA has really lost the entire narrative thing similar to the California act that we discussed previously. It's, Last it's, week's it's pod. go back and listen, folks. Yep. Subscribe Spartan Rate, underscore pop. And, uh, and also go back and listen to last week's. Um, I think it's interesting that the general college basketball fan base has turned, as I said, my perception against the NCAA, even when it, used to be directly to the detriment of their team because recruiting is a zero-sum game if you don't get this player if kansas gets this player and then you go play kansas your player you gotta go you know accept a, a you know a commitment from a plan b or a plan c as a result of kansas's perceived impropriety on the recruiting trail so I don't know, Jonesy, if you have something that you want to say on this subject. It's just a phenomena that I've noticed and has been that that I've kind of I found to be very interesting. Yeah, I, I, I don't have much to say other than I do find it hilarious, but only in the sense that their lack of self-awareness is funny to me. Uh <laughs> if, if Bill Self I, I, is wearing an Adidas basketball shirt with a money sign gold chain hanging in front of it for a photo shoot you think he you think that was just you know that's what he walked in with and they were like let's go with that all right fair fair point uh then i would say that i hope the ncaa steps up here because this isn't the wwe Mm -hmm. like they aren't a villain that is entertaining and narrative um I can believe in in players being compensated for name, image, image, and likeness, and for many other other things that I think they are owed by virtue of what they do for institutions, and also believe that the spirit of amateurism can live on, and that paying recruits directly is not okay, um, or you know, setting up these side deals with. Uh, you know, shoe companies. I, I, I can believe that there is something scummy here and that there's a right way to do this and that this would have never fallen in the right column. 
So, no, I, I mean, it, the event is hilarious to me yeah. and will remain very funny. Um, and the apology, even more comically terrible. But I, I don't get people rooting for Kansas as the villain. Yeah. That, beyond me. I, I have um, not seen this discussed much in the wider media. So hit us up. Spartan underscore pod, Twitter. Let us know what you think. We want to hear from you. Like, subscribe. We'll, leave us we'll a take review. questions on it next week. Yeah. Uh, but um, do want to say, you know, we, we mentioned last week's pod. Uh, last week, we, we talked about the buzz in the Big Ten. Who was going to be head coach at Rutgers? Mm-hmm. And that NJ. That's all I can was, talk about. Was reporting that Pat Narduzzi was in serious consideration for Rutgers. To which we said no. And just want to let the, the, the listeners know, in case they're keeping score, our hot take was validated. Pat Narduzzi said, hell no. <laughs> Absolutely not. There is no way I am going there. Uh, Pat Narduzzi has a contract that runs through 2024. I don't know that Rutgers could even afford to buy him out, which by the way, is a whole separate conversation we could have that we won't have right now on can yeah. we afford to buy Pat Narduzzi out? We um, might have to find out. But Doozy, not going to Rutgers. It would be... You would have to be an established coach that either has a reason to be there or you're just like, let's get paid. Let's, let's sign a seven-year contract get fired in three and just coast those last four years. You'd have to be the Ron Gardenhire, current Tiger <laughs> skipper. That's just like, all right, let's hop aboard this train wreck and let's just cash these checks. And when we inevitably get fired, we've set things up in advance in such a way that I get, you know, four or a five sweet, million a year into parachute. retirement. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, the most golden of, of all coaches, parachutes. Yeah. Uh, speaking of terrible coaches and terrible people, uh, not that Pat Narduzzi is, but Rutgers is terrible and Bill Self is terrible. Uh, Art Bryles is in the news. Uh, mm. People may remember Art Bryles, uh, the former Baylor head coach of their football program, um, yeah. who was removed from his job uh, after it came to light that. Um, the Baylor football team was raping nonstop. Um, is that the correct phrasing? I mean, it w- I, yeah. And, uh, and- there were a lot of sexual assaults, um, as it turns out. I don't have the number up in front of me, but it was a lot. And and I say that as someone who's fully aware of the the past two years of of what's been happening at Michigan state, but art Bryles has a, a particular level of condemnation, uh, in the football community, um, such that he has not been able to get a job, um, and is currently coaching varsity football in Texas, mm-hmm. um, Mount Vernon, Texas, in fact. Oh um, yeah. The, the Mount, what's the, uh, what's the mascot over there at Mount Vernon, the Mount Vernon Vernanners. Vernanners. Don't sure. look it up. That's what it is. So the Vernanners uh, and their their school district have a policy that um, 
kids cannot move uh, to the district uh, for sports. Hmm. Yet Art Bryles, true to form, uh, has recently been found of bringing kids in from out of state to his school district for sports. Uh, while the school district is is appealing the ruling, they are potentially going to be subject to forfeiting all of their games. Mm. Um, Art Bryles, man. Just... That's why that's why you hire a good coach like Art Bryles so that you can forfeit all your games, but so that he can turn your young men into real men. <laughs> so. This is what you deserve. Uh, if you're a high school and you hire Art Bryles because you want to win football games, you deserve to have to forfeit all of them. I I don't have a problem with this at all. It seems like the universe has some justice after all. Yeah. Um, I, I guess it, we should, uh, while we're dumping on Art Bryles, it, it is fair to momentarily take a moment to uh, sort of shine a light inward um, and talk about the Curtis Blackwell lawsuit. Uh, for the listeners who don't know, Curtis Blackwell used to be more or less a recruiting coordinator for MSU. Um, and uh, after 2016, when several players were involved in a sexual assault, um, he was uh, put on administrative leave pending an investigation. He refused to cooperate with that investigation. Um, and ultimately his contract was not renewed. Uh, he has since sued the university, um, seeking a lot of money uh, in the $5 million plus range um, for essentially being blacklisted out of football. Um, there's been some fights over depositions, uh, and uh, Blackwell's, uh, or I'm sorry, Coach D'Antonio uh, is due to be deposed. They sought to limit the scope of that deposition, and... Um, filed a motion in court to do such. Um, and the judge ruled that uh, D'Antonio uh, does not have to sit for a deposition until after the football season, uh, but um, can be asked about anything that would lead to the discovery of relevant evidence. Mm. So Jonesy, you have, for the sake of the audience who might not be aware, uh, you have a law background. So Given these, uh, given how this has gone so far and the fact that, uh, Mark D'Antonio will have to sit down for basically the seven hours is in my understanding, the longest that a deposition can run and it won't be limited in scope. What are, what are your reactions to, to those, uh, those facts? I mean, it's not great. Uh, I, I can understand why a judge would let um, Blackwell's attorneys ask about Austin Robertson, uh, who is a, a person who has uh, been convicted of um, uh, aggravated sexual assault, I believe is the, the mm-hmm. term that it was under, but uh, rape, um, and yes. uh, is now serving time in a federal prison, or, or state prison, maybe. Um up in the Upper Peninsula, um, and was a complicated recruit, to say the least. Um, And though what Blackwell was terminated for was a separate incident involving four players, um, 
it's not going to be good for for D'Antonio to have to answer questions about Austin Robertson. Um, mm. And I would believe that this would incentivize the university to settle. That was my first reaction as well. Uh, just the fact that those questions in the deposition aren't limited in scope. You haven't. Now, I haven't prepared a client for this. I haven't been involved in one of these, but it seems like that just leaves it up to infinite uh, possibilities. And the fact that he's got to sit there for seven hours taking questions, you just don't know what's going to happen under those circumstances. Yeah. Or am I, mean, I, am I wrong in that? Well, so they're only allowed to ask about things that would lead to the discovery of uh, relevant evidence. So it doesn't have to be admissible. It doesn't have to, the question itself doesn't have to be relevant, but merely has to lead to the possibility of relevant evidence. Um, mm. So it is, it is a much wider scope than what you're able to get away with at trial. Um, so, for instance, anything about Austin Robertson, they may well be able to have stricken at a trial um, as not relevant. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't ask about it in a deposition, because what if there is something relevant there? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you wouldn't know unless you asked. Um, but uh, in seven hours, you know, look, there's breaks, there's lunch. You know, I mean, it's a long day. Don't get me wrong. You have to be mentally on all day. Um, but it's, you know, it's doable. Um, so I, I just, it, from a, while I'm not involved in the case, I, I could see the university being incentivized to come to a resolution on this. Hmm. So, uh, particularly because Blackwell's attorneys like to attach depositions to their filings so that the stuff gets put yeah. in public. Yeah, what's... What's your take on that? So the concern is, uh, for the listening audience that might not be up to date on all of this, uh, effectively, uh, Blackwell's attorneys attached uh, a deposition transcript from the arresting MSU uh, MSU police officers who are also subject to this uh, lawsuit. Uh, one of them had a, a deposition and the transcript of that was attached to a filing which could be FOIA'd, correct, and made public? Well, it's not even FOIA'd. It, it, it just, it's posted online. Anyone can get to it. Um, okay. uh, literally, you could have pulled it from the website. Um, and so the problem is- Do we is, know, is has that, anyone pulled it from the website? Is it out there? Yeah, I haven't seen the deposition itself, but I know the media has copies of it. Um, and I think out of some- admirable level of restraint has chosen not to publish it mm. um <clears throat> the gist is that um the resting officers were also involved in the investigation of uh the four players who um had a separate sexual assault incident to which they pled out under a particular act um which um Holmes is in the name, but it, well, yeah, the, it allows it allows the judge the, Rosemarie Aquilina, who is the same judge that allowed uh, all of his very powerful uh, witness uh, testimonies in the Nasser trial, uh, place basically all of the information about the uh, the trial for those three players. Um, in a box, uh, is my understanding. 
Right. And so the the deposition was supposed to stay sealed because it had information about their cases. And so um, the attorneys for Blackwell uh, attached the deposition to a motion, which made it then public and um, which resulted in a, uh, a, a fine being levied against the attorney for Blackwell in the amount of $10,000, which is payable to the detective. Um, so, uh, look, it, I, Blackwell's lawyers don't seem to be great, but this was a big... The, the ruling against Antonio was a big win for them, um, and I think that's all that's probably worth saying about it right now. Um, so yeah, um, other off Grand River news as we are running long, uh, (laughs) so, um, look, uh, some exciting news, uh, the final 20, uh, quarterbacks for the Johnny Unitas Golden Arm Award came out and Lewerke was named in the top 20. Really? That's great. Oh, good for him. His parents Greg, must I, be very proud. I'm proud. Well, they they, the they were very 20, proud. Fantastic. They were very proud. Oh, then they found out Shea Patterson so was great. also named. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh, good then. It's a really good list. Yeah. It's a great so list. apparently, pretty much anyone in Division One was uh, added to this list. Um, we're very excited for Brian Lewerke, but. Come on, guys. Are you a quarterback? Do we know what your name is? You're on the Johnny Unitas Golden Arm Award potential nominee list. (laughs) Congratulations. All right. uh, Let's head off off Grand River and get to the Twitter questions of... From the community. Yeah. The Can't Read, Can't Uh, Write listening community. The Can't Read, Can't Write fan base has been itching for our takes and so we're gonna roll with your twitter questions uh first up from scott bobat scott williamson uh bless him if you could add any former msu player in their prime to this team who would it be so the the obvious answer Someone like Jack Conklin on the offensive line can get drafted in the first round or whatever. That would be a big help. I'm going to skip Jack Conklin. I'm going to go straight to Glenn Winston, punishing running back, running fools over. (laughs) Not not a good addition to the team. Probably not where we want to be right now. But I'll tell you what. Glenn Winston put a hurting on fools when he ran the ball and uh i uh i i i would put glenn winston on this team yeah it's not a great choice well who would you uh, do, jonesy who well you i mean I, I think jack hocklin is a little bit too obvious of an answer so thanks I thanks think, for calling me out i like think that appreciate it i mean i agree but it's just too obvious i think I think you you got to think bigger than just football. I think you got to think the MSU community. Mm. And so for me, the easy answer is Matt Trannon. Mm. Matt Trannon provides some 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 wide receiver depth. And did you know he plays basketball too? Matt no, Trannon 
is an easy plug-in at the four spot. Our area of concern, Matt Trannon, easily player I pick in his prime to this team. Deion Sims is going to be very disappointed that you chose Matt Trannon as your two-way player over him. Sorry, Deion. will recall that Deion Sims, current NFL tight end, played, I think, like two games in an MSU basketball uniform. Maybe. I I would like to look that up, but uh, Matt Trannon. Yeah. Uh, second uh, Twitter question is also from Scotty. Uh, called you Williamson because I got mixed up with Zion, buddy. Uh, Scotty Williams uh, wants to know, uh, would Art They're Riles... both generational talents, so that <laughs> happens. You're not the first <laughs> to make that mistake. It's, and, and I think he'll forgive me on that. Uh, Scotty wants to know, would Art Bryles cheat at a game of Monopoly? Well, we established that he would cheat at a game of high school football. So, no. He draws the line at Monopoly. Everything is above board. I would trust Art, Art Bryles to be the banker in Monopoly. I, I think Art Bryles is... Uh, stashing extra get out of jail free cards in his pocket. I think he's a cheater. <laughs> <laughs> um, so sleeve. next up on our Twitter questions is, and those are our Twitter questions. Oh, uh, so I uh, want to move on to uh, the Wisconsin preview, but we got a little ad copy, Greg. Thanks, Michael. This episode of Can't Read, Can't Write is brought to you by the Wisconsin Tourism Bureau, bringing you alcohol. Please drink freely of our beers and spirits, which run the range from mower to craft. From Milwaukee's Beast to New Glarus Brewing, drink up America of our libation and lower your inhibitions. Because as a good friend told me after moving to Madison, nobody is attractive in Wisconsin. And folks, remember that only in Wisconsin is it not a crime to have your first DUI. Alcohol. Wisconsin. Don't drink responsibly. Don't drink responsibly. <laughs> so, uh, Wisconsin. It's this week. Coming up. What do you think? Uh, they run. Uh, they run some more. Um, they have mm-hmm. a Heisman candidate uh, for in their running back. I heard that. Um, they, their rushing scheme is more complicated than OSU's, uh, OSU largely just ran zone, um, and they will run some zone power, um, and their offensive line averages, averages 320 pounds. Hmm. Um, on Them's defense, spotted cows right there on defense, they have a solid linebacking core, um, they they get sacks, uh, which will be a challenge for us this week because you know we're going to be missing uh, Hayward and Jefferson being able to do pass protection. So mm-hmm. this is going to be a big test for Elijah Collins. Um, I will say, uh, I know we said last week that Ohio State hadn't really played anyone. Wisconsin really hasn't played anyone. Um, really, I mean mm-hmm. Michigan, but like. Are we saying Michigan's that good this year? Are we really saying that? I mean, they did just win, but let's go. By, by total offense, by total offense, Kent State is the best offense that they have played. <laughs> so it, 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 that's true. So 
I, look, I mean, I have no doubt about the offensive prowess of Wisconsin and that it is going to be a matchup of matchups, but I just want to say for their defense, they've played Northwestern, who is their most competitive game, and Northwestern's offense is garbage. <laughs> I, I mean, it just, ugh. So anyway, uh, what, what are your takes on the game? Well, my take kind of goes back to what we said about the Ohio State game. Uh, I've noticed that the community and most of the Spartan media have kind of been really hung up on the Ohio State loss um, and have not really focused on this game to the point where it seems like almost an afterthought, which is strange because... MSU is going on the road. It's taking on another top tier team, probably the top tier team uh, in the West. And it has an opportunity to knock them off and really cleanse that palate uh, like we talked about before. So I, I think it's unfortunate that people aren't, don't seem to be looking forward to this game. The people seem to be looking past this game. They seem to think that the the season might be over. They might be more interested in relitigating the outcome of the Ohio State game than actually looking at this and getting excited about it and considering, you know, what could happen in a game such as this. What do you think? Yeah, you know, and, and I think what's all the more heartbreaking and I, and I think you know we try and keep things a little bit light here keep it a little bit comical but Wisconsin was a really good rival for a lot of years I mean yeah we had some real back and forth games with them and so the inaugural for, Big Ten championship game yeah I, I mean which ugh, that punter taking a dive just ugh. still angry and about that Russell Wilson punting with his arm all the time successfully <laughs> i mean <sighs> look I, I there were you know the rocket play like i mean those games were all decided by like less than 10 points most of them by seven yeah this is a game to be excited about it's yeah. it's a matchup of strength on strength it is a team that d'antonio said from the get-go that he's modeling the msu what he was trying to build at MSU on Wisconsin. Right. He said that this week, right? In his press conference. Yeah. And he said it before that. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, whether he measured up or not, I think is an interesting question and, and actually is actually kind of an interesting question about the divisional alignments. Um, because you'll notice that when we were what legends and leaders, things were a little bit different too. Um, but you know, this is a game to be psyched about. This is a yeah. this is a chance to take down a top ten opponent on the road that we match up against well, very well in fact. So, you know, yes. Why relitigate one quarter of a game, uh, and instead let's be excited about this one? I mean, I I, I think part of being a Spartan is that eternal optimism, right? Yeah. Agree. Especially when you consider that, I mean, the MSU defense did give up some big run plays in the Ohio State game. But as you said before, it was this is a strength on strength or perceived strength on strength type of game where 
where MSU's run-stopping defense is going to come up against one of the premier backs in college football, or at least that's the perception right now. You know, he's on all those Heisman shortlists at this time. And it's going to be a really exciting game in uh, in a building that, you know, gets a little hype occasionally. That's the reputation. But even Andrew Jump Maxwell around. can win a game. So it, I think things can turn around if, if for the season and the perception of this season for MSU football fans just by the outcome of this game. Look. If Northwestern was able to contain the run against them, we can contain the run against them. I agree. I agree. I'm excited. Uh, I would have preferred that we played this game before Ohio State, really. Uh, That would have been a nicer ramp for these types of things. But at the same time, I am not that bothered by the Ohio State outcome. It was, as we established, largely expected. So, and you know what? It's okay to say that it sucks in this game. It's okay to say that it sucks. Losing to Ohio State was not fun. We're not suggesting that it was fun, but it's fine. Sure. Life moves on, the season moves on, and we still have good goals in front of us. And the line is, I believe, plus 10 for Wisconsin or plus 10 for uh, us. Okay. Minus 10 for Wisconsin. Wisconsin by 10. Yeah. I might take, I might take MSU in that. So, we'll see. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and, and make a bold prediction that we keep their rushing yards below 115. 115. All right, there it is. You heard it for you heard it here first, folks. What if what if Wisconsin rushes for like 250 yards, but MSU still wins? Are you gonna um, like? <laughs> then, Take folks, uh, you should subscribe, rate, review, uh, and follow us at Spartan underscore pod. Uh, but this has been a, a, a can't read, can't write production. Uh, I'm Mike Jones. He's Kevin Greck. Go green. Mike, Kevin. Thanks, guys. Go green.